0: You're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Wau Okoroi Hawkins. Coming up first. Seven is
1: the largest number of women that's ever been in parliament.
0: A historic moment for women's participation in leadership in Samoa.
2: An unusual turn of events for this election and to have died on the eve of nominations too, so unprecedented.
0: State funeral held for Papua New Guinea's Deputy Prime Minister Sam Basil. We need to have more Pacific providers in health in education, and we need competent
3: and culturally competent staff.
0: And the New Zealand government is being urged to ditch quick-fix approaches to Pacifica issues ahead of the budget announcement this week. Samoa has entered a new era of gender equality in leadership, with the swearing-in of three women MPs, taking the number of women in the Legislative Assembly to seven the new members of Parliament, one with the FAST, the ruling FAST party, and two with the opposition HRPP, increased the number of seats in the House to 54. Prime Minister Fiamme Naomi Mataafa congratulated the new female MPs and welcomed them, saying, It's not been an easy journey so far, but in the end the purpose of the law is to allow more women representatives in Parliament. Joining me is our Samo correspondent, Joeta Feangai Mali, Talofa Joeta, tell us more about the swearing-in ceremony.
1: It was the first agenda on the parliament session uh, that convened this morning, and I would say that it's a new era for Samoa, a historical day as well, where three women uh, members of parliament were sworn in immediately after the court uh, decision that was issued last week, and now um, today, uh, with the Human Rights Protection Party, um, as well as Tukumata from the Watasi Party, and this takes the number of seats in the House 254. And I could honestly say that the feeling is kind of overwhelming. With uh, uh, you know, on the ground level, um, I see on social media where women are just promoting this significant event, as well as men.
0: Is this the most women in uh, Parliament? in Samoa today?
1: Yes, that's why it's it's quite a significant day for Samoa to have seven female MPs in office. This is, as far as I know, um, and also my research that I've done, seven is the largest number of women that's ever been in parliament. But, you know, on the other hand, some other ministers have said that, you know, this specific law the 10% constitutional mandate for women is discriminatory against men. Um, some women have to work their way up like our prime minister. And um, I've interviewed her before on this same issue. And, you know, she, gender did not have a play or was not a factor in how she made her way through parliament. Uh,
0: uh, were these comments made like, around the discussions this morning, or are you talking about historical comments on the issue?
1: No, it's just historical comments. Um, This morning, uh, Prime Minister Fiume congratulated the women uh, and welcomed them, and she also pointed out that this is the second time this constitutional mandate for women MPs have been activated. The first time was in 2016, but this is the second time it's been activated, And, and lo and behold, we have three women uh, new members of parliament, so it's it's quite significant.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the the a uh, few of the women or uh, any of the women who are coming through that you you know a bit more about? Um,
1: so Ali Malmanu is this is Ali Malmanu's second uh, term. She served in the previous term where she was appointed as chairwoman for the parliament's financial and expenditure committee. While Fangase Alii and Tomata are new members. Um, this is the first time they've been sworn in as uh, female MPs, and the case for Tomata is that her appointment is quite different from how um, Ali Malmanu and Fangasele'i were appointed by the court, because this seat was uh, initially supposed to be for Leota Timaleabai, but she resigned from her seat, from her post uh, from the Falalupo
0: constituency,
1: so the court had no choice but to award it to.
0: So um, matter. Yes. Yeah, so my understanding of that law is because uh, Leota resigned as a woman from his seat. There was an election, and a man was elected to the seat that was won by her as a woman. The the yes, the, the yes. law was that a woman, an extra woman's seat, has to be installed. Exactly. Yep. In terms of the balance, um, even with the the new MPs coming in, obviously. Um, more for HRPP than for FAST at this point. Uh, The FAST party still holds a clear majority?
1: Yes, at the moment, the ruling FAST party uh, has 31 seats, have 31 seats, and the opposition, uh, which is HRPP, have 22 seats. But there's one where by election... So that's one more by-election um, coming up next month.
0: This is sort of the tail end of the constitutional crisis that, that uh, Samoa has gone through after the elections last year. Do you think this is this is the bookend? Can we close this chapter now? Or are we expecting more legal uh, battles and, and um, tests around this transition of power?
1: I think this is the end of it. But in previous interviews with the Prime Minister, she said, you know, they will look into this specific law, the 10% constitutional mandates, because because of this, you know, there was hung parliament, and going further in the future, they don't want that to happen again, because members of the public are the ones that will suffer in terms of hung parliament, whereas, you know, everything is on hold until there's a ruling party. But I think this is the end of it. But, you know, this is Samoa and I'm not going to hold my breath. That there's going to be more surprises. Um, at the same time, there's pending um, investigations against the uh, leader of the HRPP and the secretary of the HRPP for um, contempt of court convictions. So again, you know, I'm not sure if this will end here.
0: Two days of mourning for the late Papua New Guinea Deputy Prime Minister Sam Basil have concluded in the capital. Over the weekend, hundreds, including Prime Minister James Marape, Speaker Job Pomat, governors, state ministers and MPs gathered at Jackson International Airport as the body of Mr Basil and his close protection officer, First Constable Neil Maino, arrived into Port Moresby. On Tuesday, Mr. Basil's body lay in state at the Parliament Grand Hall with a state funeral service conducted in the afternoon. The casket is expected to leave Port Moresby for lay Wednesday morning. With me is our Papua New Guinea correspondent, Scott Wide. Thank you, Tomas, for Sidan Story with him, Mifala, Scott. Tell us how the events of the past few days unfolded in the capital.
2: The body of the late Saint Basil arrived on Sunday afternoon. Um, there were a bit of uh, there was a bit of a hiccup at the airport because the people didn't want him to be put in a cargo hold. So he was taken on a chopper. His uh, close protection officer, the body of his close protection officer, Neil Minor, came first on the plane. And at six o'clock, uh, Mr. Bassil's body arrived at uh, Jackson's airport on a chopper. It was given full military honors. The uh, PNT Defence Force members carried the coffin and came to the place where the guests had lined up, including the family. The Prime Minister was there, including all the cabinet, uh, cabinet, other cabinet members, and the Prime Minister gave a speech just basically outlining uh, what an honour it was to work with Sam Basel. Uh, and Sam Basel is the first Deputy Prime Minister to die in office ever. So it was uh, an, un- an unusual turn of events uh for this election and to have died on the eve of nominations too so it's unprecedented um so speeches were given and he was taken to the family's home um and yesterday there was a gathering at the sir john guy stadium because that's the official house cry uh and all the dignitaries came including family members and the, the prime minister was there including all the other cabinet members they gave speeches,
0: paid tribute. And and what, what's what happens now? What what's the next thing to happen uh with the funeral arrangements?
2: So on Wednesday he'll be taken back to lay because uh there's a big demand in Morave province for him to be properly accorded honors by his own people and the people of Morave because even though he's uh, the member for Bulolo, he has a lot of respect in Morobe as well because he's a very vocal MP. And because of that reason, Morobe has come to a sort of a standstill, just waiting for the body to arrive on Wednesday. So that will happen on Wednesday, uh, and he'll be taken on a chopper and be taken on a tour all over Morobe, uh, just so that uh, people can pay their last respects. So. Uh, that, that's going to happen on uh, after Wednesday. I'm not too sure how long it's going to take. And uh, the lay MP has just released a statement saying, be patient and we will come out with a program. So that's I think they're trying to manage all the difficulties that may happen uh, if there's a delay or if there's any uncertainty.
0: Now, uh, you, you mentioned the, the death um, happening at the eve of elections being declared. Um, Mm -hmm. On on that front, where are things at with the Electoral Commission?
2: So there was uh, a demand by the public from Morobe, certain various sectors saying that if the Electoral Commission goes ahead with the nomination in Morobe, it would be deemed very disrespectful. So I think the Electoral Commissioner sort of Paid attention to that as well and he's come under criticism for that for that apparent delay by a, a, at least a week um, but that's been announced uh, the wits have been uh, issued uh, by the governor-general officially but the actual nominations have been delayed by at least a week so it will happen on the 19th uh, and I, I guess people are satisfied with what's happened
0: Still in Papua New Guinea with elections approaching, RNZ Pacific has been speaking with political scientist Michael Carboni about some of the critical issues. In this latest interview, he looks at matters such as the impact of tighter gun laws and the absence largely of policy positions taken by candidates. There had been a possibility also that the seven new seats created last month would have been set aside for women. But this hasn't eventuated, and Don Wiseman began by asking Mr. Kabuni about the prospects of women making it into parliament in the July poll.
4: You know, with no reserve seat, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I don't see a good sense for women getting elected in this in this election. The three women that got elected in 2012 rode on the, on the popularity and awareness that was created when there was a push for First, to get women into Parliament through the appointed seats. So the Constitution allows for four appointed members. So Mm -hmm. Dame Carol Kidu and and Michael Somare, who was the Prime Minister at the time, supported to appoint four women under this provision. The Parliament rejected that, and then they pushed for the creation of 22 reserve seats. And they actually amended the Constitution, but couldn't amend the organic law on national and local level government. Elections, which is the enabling legislation. And that also failed. But what happened was between that period, 2007 and 2012, it generated a lot of awareness and created this consciousness among voters of the need of having women in parliament. And then the three women that got elected in 2012 kind of rode on these awareness. Okay. And now, after 2017, where no women got elected, there was really no attempt to keep this momentum going. So you are basically starting from nowhere. Although
5: you don't think that perhaps attitudes might have changed over those 10 years, a little? No, I don't, I don't think so. Where is the focus in terms of policy and whatever going into this election? I know that typically PNG elections, no one talks about policy very much at all, do they? But is there any inkling of which way people are leaning Going into this election? It's a, not only do politicians don't care
4: about policies, but even voters don't vote based on policies. They vote based on what they can get out from the candidates. So it's a very local affair. It's not on national issues or national priorities. But the last day, there was this popular anti, the O'Neill sentiment across the country. PNC had 55 candidates going to election and they lost more than half of the MPs. So, and they're kind of, you can also feel that same sentiment now. There is a popular anti O'Neill, anti PNC sentiment. But there is also a good number of people who, are, who already don't like James Marape, basically because when he came into power, he had a lot of promise. And whether it was his fault or not, you know, with COVID-19 and dropping commodity prices and the economy not doing well, but people don't look beyond that. They look at his promise and that he didn't deliver much. So again, there is some anti-punk sentiment around the country as well. So they will be, you know, voting based on... If, if parties play any role, it will be associated with their main figures. So, if you are Pangu and those candidate, then they'll be looking at did James Marape do a good job. If you are nominated by PNC, they associate PNC with Peter O'Neill. so they look at you know Peter O'Neill and say did he do a good job. So that's how far you know the influence of party goes. Apart from that, it's their one talk or someone who, who gives them something in return.
5: Yes. Who will head basile's party?
4: That's a really interesting question, but it does have some. Uh, incumbent MPs in his party but it's not clear at this stage who will lead Basil's party yeah. uh, but I expect one of those MPs in the current parliament, who actually moved, left their party to joining. the Party leadership may come from one of these MPs.
5: Now, last time we were talking, we talked about how there's so often gun violence or tribal violence associated with the election, but the government has just brought in tough new rules about the possession of illegal weapons and made it a life sentence if you're caught with one or if you use one. What sort of impact would that have? No, I don't think there's going to be much
4: impact. The Solution is not really in laws or, you know, tougher laws. or The government even brought in armored vehicles. That's not where the solution is. The solution is making, you know, the existing laws work. So, guns are already illegal in Papua New Guinea for anyone to own a gun unless certain circumstances with license and things like that. And the government was not even able to enforce that. With wild tribal warfare going on in the islands, the government has not been able to bring that under control. So if you add tough laws like that, I mean, the first question is how how do you enforce it? The answer is an in increasing the number of police personals all across the country so that there is an increased police presence presence in each, each of the districts or even local level government you have a police or a police station you know I don't have much faith in in the new law because basically we already have laws that criminalizes the ownership of guns and the government has not been able to enforce them.
0: A Samoan social worker based in Christchurch has a message for the New Zealand government ahead of this week's budget announcement. She wants a long-term plan and lasting solutions, not just quick funding boosts, in order to address issues of poverty, health and education for Pacific communities in New Zealand. Elisha Foon spoke with Toalepai Loella Thompson-Inda about her experience on the front lines as a social worker and the issues she'd like to see targeted in the budget.
3: Well, mainly it's poverty. Okay, so it's poverty and housing and overcrowding. Um, Most specific uh, people actually rent. So they're at, um, and it's usually from uh, state housing. So there is a big issue and employment, which requires a higher education. And so we go back to that, um, go back to parenting, because it, uh, it does make a difference. Like, to actually appreciate education and understand what education is about, then you get a better chance of getting employment. So um, so that is one thing. Housing, um, immigration, and that affects quite a lot of our people. And also then we have overcrowding because of the fact that they're trying to hide our state. Oh yeah, we need to have more Pacific providers in health and education, and we need competent and culturally competent staff in here, in those areas.
6: We have the Fono, we have South Seas. Do you think they're doing an adequate job? I don't know enough because
3: they're in the North Island. Uh, there's no Pacific provider in Christchurch, realised When Pacific Trust Canterbury went, there was nothing that replaced it. So I was getting a whole heap of Apocetica people uh, to my doorstep because there wasn't any provider they could go to. So uh, what's what's here now is a a clinic that's owned by a group of doctors in Auckland called e 2 Pacifica, but they don't have social service as such.
6: And the population in the South Island of Pacific people is growing, isn't it, quite rapidly? Oh yeah,
3: well just uh, 4% at the moment of Pacifica is in Canterbury, but we are growing, it's growing.
6: Is there anything that you have seen the government do in the previous budget over the last year or so that you have acknowledged as something that has been good and beneficial. There have been a lot of Pacific leaders I've spoken to that have said the government in New Zealand have been a real ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, just reacting. But there are Mm. calls for long-term solutions to issues like health, education, poverty. So is that something that you would align with as well, or do you hold a different stance?
3: Absolutely, I align with that. Because that was the case when I was... Uh, look, looking at the 2002 to 2006, that was, and that was the reason for that contract we had at Pacific Trust Canterbury on pre- education and prevention um, of child abuse and domestic violence. That was entirely prevention. But now that uh, people have taken that term and shifted it to the other end of the extreme, what they call prevention is actually not prevention; it's intervention. So uh, that ambulance at the bottom of the cliff again. So not enough has been done to stop things happening like prevention, the proper prevention. Because I know that some um, there's some departments run programs, but they call it prevention. Well, it's not. Prevention comes way <laughs> before uh, something happens. So And what's happening now is a lot of those programs are based on reaction, only when things go wrong. So I d- definitely agree with, with all the other leaders who are very complex in in terms of, of programs because some of the contracts that have come down from government we have to look at it and understand what they are and it's almost a double level because then we have to uh change it to where it'll how we're going to deliver it to get the same to get the outcomes that this contract is about for um palangi organizations it's straight from con- from government to the people that deliver it and off they go for us it's like okay this is what you want and this is how well how we're going to get what you want we need to do it our way we need to do it And sometimes there's no trust in that. Yeah, we need to do it our way and we need to deliver it this way because this is the way our people understand it. And the biggest thing is trying to get funding for translated resources. I mean, I remember having to pay for my own translating of my parenting program uh, from uh, English into Samoan and then into um, Tongan.
6: Yeah, these are some really interesting points and I guess... Your perspective is so unique because you truly are on the front line and I'm sure you speak to a lot of different Pacific communities within New Zealand who will come to you and you would see these, you know, issues that need to be urgently addressed. And so mm. with that in mind, do you have a message for the New Zealand government?
3: I'll say um, take a really good look and, uh, I mean, a microscopic look at uh, Pacific specific issues in this country it's not enough that you um you just do a a topping off of and think it's a token gesture and think it's done and also look at us as quite diverse there's diversity in there you can't put it all in the same basket because um we're all different from different islands and we're all from different villages even in different languages and even though some of our cultural beliefs and values are very similar, there are differences. So, you know, get the diversity in there. I think that's being lost.
0: That's specific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to a device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others may also find us. Tofa for.